On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with a survivor named Vanessa. And Vanessa grew up on a farm with a narcissistic father. It's a story of parentification, extreme anxiety, being good enough, and finding your identity. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. This is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode with Vanessa, I just first want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder, if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc., please leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. Now, if you have not been to our website recently at NarcissistApocalypse.com, please do go there. If you want to be part of our show, top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. Click on that button, takes you to another page. You fill out that guest form and away we will go. But another way to be part of our show is to be on our letters to my narcissist compilation episode. Also at NarcissistApocalypse.com. This time you're looking for a button on the side of the page. It's floating around. It says send voicemail. You press that button You know, one time it records up to five minutes. If you need more than five minutes, press the button twice. If you don't want to read the letter yourself, send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. Put letters to my narcissist in the subject line and myself or my old pal Melissa will read the letter for you. And what else is going on at NarcissistApocalypse.com? Oh my God, I'm so glad you asked. We are now offering high-conflict parenting courses. That can be found at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Yes, we have now partnered with online parenting, and many of the courses we're offering were created by Bill Eddy. And if you listened last year to an episode with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these individuals in court and now... He's helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. And what else do we have for you? What else do we have for you today? Our Patreon, yes, we started a Patreon. If you want to hear episodes that never made it to air, follow up episodes with former guests, 
and much, much more, including our new support groups. We've held held two now. They're on Saturday nights at 9 p.m. We might be adding a midweek one uh, very soon. It's possible. Uh, we might start doing that one every other week. But, you know, we have a lot of stuff on the Patreon. I'm going to be posting a new uh uh, a new episode on there uh, tonight that never made it to air. So go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Narcissist Apocalypse if you want to help support the show. And last thing, everyone, last thing before we get started. And it's about this show. It's a little bit of a note about this show. This is the second time we recorded this episode with Vanessa. And you'll hear in the story where Vanessa's anxiety comes from. And we had to figure out how to tell Vanessa's story while working around that and sometimes with it. So this is somewhat of a unconventional episode from what you might be used to. I am involved a lot more than usual. And in a way, it starts out with a traditional story, but eventually it kind of turns into a therapy session of sorts. I, we had no idea that was going to happen. It's just kind of how it kind of unfolded. And it was a wonderful discovery. And we discover a lot about Vanessa and a lot of little tiny, really, 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 really interesting things. So I really want to thank Vanessa, uh, you know, before we begin for trusting me to help craft her story. It was a real honor. And for those of you who feel a lot of guilt who come from these family situations and might be suffocated by their families, this episode is for you. You need to hear Vanessa's struggle and all the things she, she deals with, especially now as an adult, uh, that are kind of still going on. Uh, I guarantee uh, for all of you people, you'll feel a lot less alone, the ones that come from that type of dysfunction. And now, without a further ado... If I said that right or wrong, it's time for the show. Getting out of my way and your way here is my conversation with Vanessa. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Vanessa. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, nervous, but doing well. Well, Vanessa. Everyone out there uh, is, is going to know, or I'm just going to tell them right now, we've talked before. This is going to be our second time uh, doing this recording. And I think today we're going to be a little bit unconventional in, in the manner in which we're going to kind of tell the story. I'm going to be in there a little bit more than uh, usual. And you had uh, an upbringing where you had a, uh, you were so afraid of your, your dad and, you know, you lived in a specific type of way. You grew up in this farming kind of lifestyle and in a way you didn't know uh, what was wrong or what was kind of going on. And, you know, as you got older and you being in adulthood, uh, things uh, manifested in a lot of different ways and a lot of these things that you didn't, you know, issues from, you know, not just like fear, but um, just so many different things manifested. And so now, you know, you know, I'll try and be around for a bunch of the story. So before we go into your uh, dad, you just want to explain, you know, who Vanessa is right now 
Um, and then we'll get into bits about your dad for, and then we'll continue from there. Okay. I'm Vanessa and I am married and have three children. I wanted to talk today about my narcissistic, well, with my dad, he's a narcissist and he's, I, I still can't figure out exactly what led to him being the way he is. He is the fourth of seven children. And the last three children were born within three years of each other. So I'm guessing maybe he was forced to grow up quickly. But as far as his siblings and his parents, like my grandparents, aunts and uncles, they're all pretty great, good people. I mean, he didn't, I don't think he had a bad childhood. He'll mention, you know, like getting bad grades and maybe, you know, a little bullying and stuff. But his, his story seemed like not out of the ordinary or they didn't seem as outrageous as his actions so you got you guys were a uh, a farming family and mm-hmm. uh, you know you were the oldest of how many children of five you were the oldest of five children and your dad always wanted a boy yes so yeah. Uh, you know, you are the oldest, you're uh, a female. And as far as the role that you took uh, in the family, can you explain uh, your role, especially, you know, your, your experiences once, you know, every child, once every child was born, you were what, nine years old at that point? Okay, so can you yeah. kind of explain your role at the age of uh, nine? I, um, so I always knew my dad wanted a boy, and as each child was born, I could tell he was a little disappointed. So, um, yeah, at a young age, I just knew he always wanted a boy. So there were four girls born, and then the last one. He finally got the boy he always wanted. So I was nine at this time, so I remember that well. But he he didn't seem like he just seemed disappointed in the boy he got. Um, he would talk about how um, that we just babied, we babied our brother and spoiled him, and I think. My dad had this idea that a a boy, I don't know, maybe he didn't realize the boy started out as a child. But it just seemed like he was always disappointed. So even when he, the he, boy he got So even when he got the boy that he wanted, he mm-hmm. was unable to appreciate him or mm-hmm. meet the child at the child's level because your dad was someone who always needed someone to meet 
them at his level. So in a mm-hmm. way, it was like your dad wanted a child to be born and be 25 to 30 years old already. <laughs> You know, to have yeah, a com- I think that's what he was looking for. To have a conversation with him or do what he wanted to do and be at his level. And uh, you guys being children, and especially yourself, you know, that was just an impossibility uh, to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you're nine years old. You're taking care of your siblings. Are you, uh, you know, when it comes to your dad... Um, and fearing your dad, can you kind of explain um, maybe some stories where uh, these uh, fears came from? Yeah. So at nine, I became, I took care of all my siblings. So my mom, she would go to work, and then my dad would go to work on the farm. And then I was expected to make sure that the house clean, stayed clean. I mean, I actually divided out the chores for all five of us and made sure to feed everybody. And I'd feed my dad whenever he came home because he was on the farm or this is what he said. Anyway, he would come home at random times. So no matter what time of day he came home, that's when he needed to have lunch. So I felt a little bit on edge just with that because if, so I didn't know when he would come home, but whenever he came home, the house needed to have been in order and I needed to get him lunch. And, and, what, and so, what, were the, what, were the, what were the consequences of these things, not, not just not being done, but not being done to the uh, unrealistic expectations of your dad? So he, at a lower level, would just, like, call us names. Um, So let's say he came home at 2 o'clock, he's really hungry, and the house is a mess. He would, I call it explode, but it's a a rage. He would maybe kick us. he would like, I was responsible to make sure everybody had their chores done. So I felt extreme like anxiety. Like I had to make these kids do the, their chores. And I remember, I feel bad that like my sister, and now I'm thinking about it, we were really young, right? I'm like nine, my sister's six. And she's laying on the floor and wouldn't clean the living room. And I'm literally kicking her because I'm so scared. I'm like, you have to get off the floor and clean this living room. And I know one time he'd gotten home from work really late. And I was just on my bed. We had bunk beds. So I was up, up, you know, in the air like a bunk bed. And um, he was angry about something I didn't know, but he pulled me off my bed by my hair and then kicked me down the hallway and said the floor hadn't been vacuumed well enough. And how he showed us the the floor hadn't been vacuumed well enough is he lifted the carpet off the floor and looked at the dirt that's underneath the carpet. And that indicated we had not been vacuuming well enough. 
So here's a situ- so, well, here's a situation. I apologize for interrupting, but here's a situation. You know, really, just to kind of clarify, because we'll eventually get into it later, is you're not just being hyper vigilant and nervous around him about yourself, but mm-hmm. un- unbeknownst to you what's being created is you're also now worried about how other people are acting who mm-hmm. you're in charge of. So all of a sudden you're not just becoming hyper vigilant about your own stuff. You know, yeah. you are now very aware of everyone because in your mind you're in charge of those people and those people mm-hmm affect how you might be treated or looked upon as, yeah. as far as your value goes. Yeah. And in that example of where I was pulled off my bed by my hair, um, that chore had actually been my sister's. And it was me that got a beating for it. Because, yeah, because I was the one in charge. And they paid me each day I watched everyone. And so... I felt like it was my responsibility and they felt like it was my responsibility. Um, but now from a grown-up perspective, I think I have a hard time doing those things as a grown-up, you know, let alone being just a little kid. And when you were a little kid in that time period, did you, did being good enough, like, did was that kind of what was running you? I have to be good enough mm-hmm. for your dad? Yeah, so I knew somewhere early on when I knew he'd wanted to have a boy, something in me, I wanted to make him happy. So I I would go work with him on the farm, even like three years old. I was out there with him. And then, yeah, I, I wanted to be that boy that he wanted. But I think... Maybe not so much a boy, but I wanted him maybe to see me as good enough. Like, you know what? This is me, and I am not a boy, but I think I can make you happy. And so I would try to, like, I would follow him around. I would try to work as hard as my boy cousins. And it's, like, it still would come back. Like, he might have me sweep the floor. And I remember being so offended because I'm like, you wouldn't ask my boy cousin to sweep the floor. But because I'm a girl, you did. Uh, I know that's just a light thing, but um, and, and, and I know like I would try. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. Sorry. I would try to be as good as I could. And I remember feeling like, like I did good in school. So if I came home and said, hey, I got third place in a spelling contest, you know, I'm thinking I'm excited. My dad's going to be proud. And he would say, oh, were there only three people in the contest? Um, And that happened a lot. Like, no matter what I did that was successful, it would be, oh, were you the only one in that race? So there wasn't, I kept wanting that confirmation, like, yes, you know, you did good. But he couldn't. And Um, well, he didn't. As far as other fears go, you had 
the one fear of fear of his rage, uh, fear of uh, physical mm-hmm. abuse, but you know those two are, are are one thing. You know, but you were talking before we started recording about the farm animals. Um, and yeah. it, it reminded me a lot of a conversation uh, in the movie Silence of the Lambs, uh, where uh, Hannibal Lecter is talking to Clarice, who's played by Jodie Foster, mm-hmm. and they were getting into Jodie Foster's fears. And it had to do with uh, the lambs. And, uh, you know, she wanted those lambs to be free and the horror of, you know, where these lambs were, were going. And it, that really triggered my memory, our conversation. And can you explain, you know, uh, how you have a similar fear that it came from uh, your dad and, um, mm-hmm. you know, the care, like, you know, you have a child and um, you're like, oh, I don't want him to watch horror films or I don't want him to do this or, you know, that, that might scare the child. But you saw real life stuff mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, you, you probably should not have been seeing at that point. Probably, yeah. As I, as I got a little older, I started um, milking cows. And so to milk cows, you you bring them into the barn and wash them off and put on the milkers. And if there is a new cow, let's say they just had a baby, maybe yesterday, or maybe even that day, they are not they're not calm. They're not ready to just you know let you touch them. And so we'd have this hook that would keep them from kicking us. And I remember many times like watching I, I would hate it when my dad would come in to milk with me because if a cow didn't stand still he would he would take that metal bar and just hit him over and over and over again and sometimes they would end up bleeding sometimes they would like limp out of the barn and I, I've seen him beat them so badly that they um, actually had to be killed because he'd ruined them. Like, cause, like with, a, with a cow, I mean, if they can't walk, then they have to be put down. And so I just was, like, angry. Like, this brand-new, this cow just had her first baby. Of course she's upset. You know what I mean? Like, you're not used to, you're, I don't know, you're not trained to have someone put milkers on you. And I just didn't understand the level of rage my dad would have at this cow to just feed them. And I felt like it was counterproductive. So, like, hitting an animal over and over again with a metal bar is not going to calm them down. So it's like he wanted to hit them so much that they realized he was the boss and would calm down that that wouldn't work. Um, and so I saw that many times he would, yeah, what I would say would be rage at them. Um, and then as far as like fear goes, some other things, he he needed to be in control. Well, I know that now. But he would play these, I call them games now. But it would start out like, you know, dad comes home and like, you know, we're tickling or something. 
but he would hold us down. So let's say, you know, we're little, well, my whole life. He would hold both of our hands in one of his hands and then put a knee across our middle. And then he calls it teasing, but he would like slowly tickle you. But no matter what we said or cried or screamed out, no, he wouldn't stop. It was always whenever he was, I don't know. When he, when, he, when, he, when he was ready. When he was ready. When he was ready. So. And I remember like feeling so helpless. Like there's nothing I can do to stop. And if I tried biting him, you know, that would make him furious. Um, one of my sisters, she wet her pants. Um, so, I mean, it's not like a little tickling for fun. It's like, it felt like this domination game. And he is a man where you didn't know it yet because you were, you were young, but the world revolved around uh, his feelings mm-hmm. and the yeah. care and the caretaking of of him and we haven't mentioned your your mother yet so uh where is your mom uh, during this uh period of time what she's doing what is she doing and uh you guys come from a religious uh background mm-hmm. um so ex- kind of explain uh, her role and how um you know she approached things so a little background on her is she had joined our religion and then moved several states away. So she was alone here with her family several states away. And I think that was part of what happened. Um, but she really catered to my dad, like trying to make him happy. And I know, let's say... Um, like if I, the one thing that could trigger his rage is, is mistakes. Like he can't handle normal mistakes. So let's say I spilled my milk while we were at dinner. He would, um, credit, he would yell at me and the common term in our house was like, what's wrong with you? Like, why, why would you do that? Um, so he might take me to the room and spank me and, um, like the spankings would be like, take your pants down, hands on your butt, spank. And it wasn't like one or two. It was like several. I think he was getting his rage out by spanking our butt. Um, and so then afterwards, if let's say we're sitting on the couch, my mom will be over there. And I'm, if I cried, my dad would say, you know, you better stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. And so that, like at a young age, I learned to pinch my arms really hard so that I wouldn't cry because crying would make his rage worse. Well, and, and more, 
he would kept talking about how bad of a person I was that made him that angry. So if I, so the, the punishments were about how I deserved it. And so my mom would be sitting next to me on the couch as he's yelling at me and tell me how terrible a person I am. And she, like, she was in agreement. She was like, well, you know, you shouldn't have spilled your milk or you shouldn't have yelled at your sister or you shouldn't have made any mistake. And there were, there were no hugs. There were no, like, hey, Vanessa, you're doing all right. Um, I felt like my mom was on his side and against me. Like, she was in... And she wasn't doing the punishing, but she was not against it. And when it comes to, you said something there about you pinching yourself, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I guess, it was the first uh, moments for you maybe of self-harm? Yeah. And which eventually yeah. does continue on in a way later uh, in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in self-harm for everyone who's listening, it, you know, it just doesn't have to be uh, physical. You know, self-harm is what you say to yourself or how you, you think about yourself as well. And, you know, for you, a lot of your issues start with um you know, something that you mentioned uh, earlier uh, before we got on here, which is uh, enmeshment, which the description of enmeshment mm-hmm. is a relationship between two or more people in which uh, personal boundaries are uh, unclear. So can you kind of explain, you know, when it comes to you and your dad, uh, enmeshment and maybe what you didn't realize back then, uh, or if you can kind of give a, a clue of like how maybe identity issues started forming for you back then. Yeah. When I think the investment started early on when I tried so hard to please him and I kind of lost who I was. Like I would, I, um, whenever he complained about my mom, let's say he said, oh, your mom doesn't like to go outside or your mom doesn't like sports or your mom doesn't like current radio. I would take those as like what I needed to be like, okay, if I want my dad to like me, I need to like working outside on the farm. If I want my dad to like me, I need to make sure I'm always listening to the current radio. I don't want to be stuck in the 50s and 60s radio. Um, he, like, and I feel the enmeshment, and it was like he was kind of obsessed with, with what I was doing. And as I got older, it's like I couldn't, I couldn't have my own life. Like, if I wanted to go out with my friend, he would give me the guilt trip. Like, oh, well, I needed your help. Well, not a guilt trip. He would just say no. Like, nope, I need you to help me with this. And as far as, like, say, my own personal boundaries, there were none. And we never had locks on our doors. Um, 
he would come wake me up in the morning at various times singing a stupid song that I know I, you know, I hate to this day, but it was like, like you crawl up on my bed and start singing. And it's like that, you know, you freak out a little bit like, what, what is happening? Why are you in my bed singing? Um, and I realized like he depended on me to support him emotionally. So let's say, well, because he would say he, he was angry, or he, we called it lost his temper, but it's a rage. But he would say he lost his temper because something happened on the farm. And one of his brothers belittled him. And then he would come to me for that, I don't know, it's like soothing, kind of like, hey, you're right, you know, they treated you badly, that's not okay. And so I feel like I had to shut off my feelings because inside I would think, well, you know, the the tractor breaking down should not make you so angry that you're yelling obscenities at your brother and then he yells back, right? But I had to shut off my feelings so that I could comfort him. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? like, so you're not just taking care of your dad uh, from lunches to taking care of the kid, the, your, your siblings, and taking care of all household chores. You are also taking care of his moods, his feelings, yes. everything. You're yes. walking on eggshells in every way, and you are a child. And, and you're taking yes. care of all of his needs, and he is the parent. And your mom, you know, you know, whatever her uh, beliefs are about marriage and that, she's doing her role as she feels she's uh, dutiful uh, as far as the marriage vows uh, go, mm-hmm. and that they're, you know. She's following the rules of her belief system, and there's nothing going to shake her from that, leaving you in this position to really – it's an impossible position you are in. Never – having to do everything for everyone, never being good enough, and then also if someone else screwed up, that also – being your mm-hmm. fault, so you were never good enough times two uh, by yeah. by proxy of, of other people, and it puts you in this position. And you know something um, you said to me uh, last time was that you know while you were talking, how just talking about these stories made you on edge. And it made you. Mm-hmm. So, how are you feeling right now? <laughs> I'm feeling on edge, and I'm uh, I'm twisting up this fabric thing I have in my hands over and over again. There's a certain level of like I feel like I'm betraying him. Okay, talk you know, about like, it. talk about even it. though I can I can tell you like all these stories and how he hit me and um, was irrational. But then there's that part where he confides in me and then I feel like I am important to him. Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like if I can soothe his feelings so that he's not in a rage, then we're all happier. Like the, the, we're all, all of us are safer. So even though I hate, well, it's weird. I like on one end, I hate that he comes to me for comfort and validation, right? That, I mean, I'm, 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 feel elevated. Like I feel flattered. I feel like, wow, he sees value in me. He wants to come to me when he's hurting. But then I also hate it because I have to shut off my feelings of you walked in the house and yelled at all of us. And now you want me to comfort you. You know what I mean? So, or like if I see him lose his temper and yell at one of my siblings or watch him yell at one of his brothers, I'm afraid, and then he wants to, like, unload the story and say, well, he did this, and this happened, and this happened, and so that's why I lost my temper, and I know that he's looking for that validation, like, he wants me to say that he's right, So you're, you're he did the right thing. Your life, you know, especially right now, because of all of that, of this giant mixed message you're living in a continuous internal push and pull of Mm -hmm. of feeling invalid on edge and nervous whenever you're either in his presence or on the phone Waiting for some yes. shoe to drop of any sort at all times. <laughs> yes. And then at the same yeah. time, you so desperately just want him to validate that you're good. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, now you are older. You're aware of these things. But it's still uh, being aware of things is, you know, one thing that's half the battle or maybe it might only even be quarter of, of the battle. And then actually being able to do the work from what you are aware of is is another thing, especially when this person is part of your life still. And you don't know, and that guilt that you have is unbear. What's stronger to you, the guilt or the, uh, I've lost, or, or the invalidation, the hurt, what, what, uh, like the invalidation hurt or is the guilt stronger than that? The guilt. Okay. And so when it comes to that, uh, you know, you're, he's now in his 60s. And can you kind of explain um, a little bit about uh, how your uh, life is is now? And now that you have children and um, what you've kind of discovered about 
you know, who you are uh, once you did have uh, of children and then the, also the challenges now of having children and, you know, the realizations that you've, you've been able to come to. Plus, um, we can discuss uh, how your husband now fits into this, this little bit of a mess. Okay. So I, I was, I would say socially very immature and so like going to high school and things, my dad would need me on the farm all the time. So I didn't get out and socialize with friends or really date much at all. And I felt so my my dad's lifestyle was very chaotic. Like I didn't know what to expect when I came home from school. He might need me to help him on the farm or he might not need me at all. And so to get some control in my life, I focused on my schoolwork and I played a musical instrument really well. So I would get up at a quarter to five in the morning so that I had that time to myself because I could plan on that early morning time because he was asleep. And so, you know, kind of looking back on things, I felt like that was the only time I could have control of my life. And then when I moved, when I went to college, I remember the feeling of immense freedom. So it was like living at home. I just felt like I was afraid all the time. Oh, and I didn't mention he would randomly, he wanted me to be happy all the time. So if I was upset, he would remind me that I should be grateful that I have a roof over my head. Or you're so lucky that you know, we live out on a farm and we have all this space. And so I wasn't allowed to show any other emotions besides happy and grateful. And I remember this one particular time. You, oh, weren't, you, yeah. weren't, you weren't allowed to have your own feelings. Uh-uh. Yeah. Nope. And... And sorry, were you expected to be in a bad mood if he was in a bad mood? No. No. Just happy. Okay. And I remember being in a bad mood once because I couldn't go out with my friends. And I finished doing the chores he'd asked me to. And then he... I'm turning around, walking home, and he kicked me as hard as he could. And that, that's an example of how it was just so kind of random. Like, you don't, like, the punishment might come hours or days after it happened. And I think that led to my hypervigilance. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. And I did want to mention this. My... I learned that I needed to not have needs because I needed to meet my dad's needs. So he, he did not. So here's an example. He controlled how much toilet paper we could use. So one day he decided that we were all using too much toilet paper and he allotted us two squares each when we used the bathroom. And when we're traveling, we're not allowed to use the bathroom unless we stop to get gas. And 
I just remember like it was a very shaming experience if you had to go to the bathroom. It would be, and we weren't allowed to drink anything because no one wanted to be the one who had to stop to go to the bathroom. And so I felt very ashamed of my body. And we never talked about body things at all. I mean, never. So it was like, whatever happens behind the bathroom closed doors, we don't ever talk about it. And so I just felt really ashamed of my body and I felt like everything I needed what I I thought I needed was wrong so my dad would quote this saying like you know the difference you know what you say you need is actually just a want so let's say you need to eat well you're really not minutes from starving to death so that you don't need to eat or let's say I I need to go to bed. Well, you're fine. You could stay up another few hours and, and help me with this thing. And so he'd lecture us about the difference between needs and wants, but it was so skewed that I felt like I didn't actually have any needs. I just wanted things. Or let's say I, I needed to go inside because I was cold. Like, well, you're going to be fine. You're, you're not about to freeze to death. So that's not a need. That just means you want it to go inside. Um, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I wanted to bring up that, that part about if I started to just really hate my own body. Like my body stopped me from being the perfect person. Or, like, every mistake we ever made was criticized and shamed. And not only mistakes, just, like, who who we are. So I wanted to play sports in school. And my dad would say, no, you're, you know, who do you think you are? Like, you're, you can't do that. And so then I was ashamed that I wanted to play sports. And he would use scriptures to tell us to justify why he would rage at us. And so there's a scripture that I, that I now hate, but it talked about how you need to punish the child swiftly, but then show love afterwards. And so he would use that to justify that his actions were okay. So his raging at us was his showing that we'd done wrong. And then the showing love afterwards was lecturing us about how he still loves us, even though we had done this wrong thing. And so I felt, I I felt like his, that I was really lucky that he still loved me, that he still accepted me, even though I was horribly flawed. And so I know that's part of what the mental confusion is, is feeling like I deserved the punishment. And, And that's part of where my mom comes in, is she never said, 
anything contrary to my dad. She would follow him no matter what he said. And she told us often that she and my dad were together forever, and so they needed to be bonded together as one. And the children came second. Because then the children would leave, and you're just left with your spouse. And so that was how she told us um, how her and my dad were always on the same page. And then, oh, see, uh, like, moving on to my growing up. So I went to college, and I remember feeling that feeling of freedom. And I met my now husband there. And he literally, you know, I'm saying how socially awkward I I was. But, um, so yeah, I, I had never really dated anybody. It was sort of like my dad took up all my extra time and probably emotional energy. It's like I, I didn't even look at other people. But I met my husband in college, and then when I brought him home to meet my parents, my my dad became or no my husband became the the boy that my dad always wanted, and so how my dad treats my husband is is literally like the definition of golden child. Like he puts my husband on the pedestal, and I think it was because when I met my husband, my little brother was only nine, and. You know, kind of like I talked about before, how my brother was, my dad had always wanted a boy, but my brother was just little and a child. And then when I brought my husband around, it's like my husband was in his 20s, which, I don't know, my, my dad just really elevated him and put him on a pedestal. He, he, was, one he, thing, he was the version oh. of himself that he always wanted. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But one thing I think interesting is when I got married that um, my self-harming really got worse and I would think that you know being away from my father it would be better but what I realized is I wanted to be perfect for my husband I had this fear that he was going to leave me all the time and I felt like if I showed him my like any weakness or any vulnerability that my husband I don't know I just have felt like one day my husband's gonna wake up and see me for the horrible person I really am and just be like just leave me so so I started sorry continue no I was just gonna did did you start um well besides self-harming was it physical self-harming and like cutting or was it um, was it self-harming in the sense of like bulimia or anorexia, things like that? Um, bulimia. I started, um, yeah, I had an eating, I started the eating disorder, uh, of a bulimia. And I think that, yeah, I just, even any imperfection I had, I would hate myself for it. Like, Vanessa, how could you do that? You know, or how did I leave the door open? Or how could I have, you know, gotten a speeding ticket? Like any mistake, I was so angry with myself. 
Um, and then kind of, well, and then, then I had my first child a few years later and that was a whole other level of imperfection. So I had this little child who needed so much that I, I, like a little kid can never validate you, right? A baby can't say, oh, thanks for changing my diaper. You are doing a great job. And I, I didn't have this measure to tell if I was doing good or not. And, you know, like say you're going to school, you can get an A on your paper and know, oh, I did a good job. Or get a bad grade, you're like, okay, I got to work harder. But when I had the, this little baby, like, no one was saying I did a good job. No one was saying I did a horrible job, or maybe they did. But I just, like, I think to a whole new level of, like, feeling not good enough. And then, so as my baby's getting older, I started realizing, like, this is the first time I'm really realizing how um, abusive my dad was. Because as kids, we were expected to meet his needs, right? If he's in a bad mood, we need to cheer him up or we need to figure out how to make him happy or clean the house better or something. Um, and like something I, I, so, I mean, talking about that fear we've talked about, like it was so, so in me that like one of my shameful stories is like my baby was a year and a half old and we were at my ha my parents' house visiting them and he was playing with um, I don't know if you know what maracas are they're like the little wooden sticks that rattle around and my baby he was playing with those and my dad was right there. Like, I'm there. My dad's there. My baby's playing with those. And he broke them. Like, he just smashed them together and one broke. And my dad picked my son up. Like, I'm right there. But he just picked my son up, spanked him really hard, and then took him to his room, like my dad's room, put him on the bed, shut off the lights, and shut the door. And... Like, I'm ashamed that I didn't stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, that, like, this baby, yeah, he broke that thing, and I'll pay for it or figure it out, you know, we could talk about it. But, or, you know, have, well, a baby doesn't need discipline. He didn't know he was wrong. You know what I mean? And so I'm ashamed that I didn't stand up for that and say, hey, that's wrong. And I'm ashamed that I kind of watched to see when my dad's calmed down so I can go get my baby. And then I'm waiting for my dad to be okay for me to then go home. So all this time is just horrible. And I'm not crying because I don't want to draw attention to myself. So I'm just like pinching my arms and really hard scratching my, that's my self-harm is like, I'll just scratch my arms really hard or cut and stuff. But, um, like, the scratching is to keep myself calm during the moment. And then when I get home later is when I do, like, the cutting stuff. So when, but, it, when it comes to your children, 
and your dad coming over or you going to his place. I'm not sure if you go mm-hmm. over there anymore. Uh, I do. And, and when it comes to your your kids, are your kids, uh, I guess, hyper vigilant? You know, when they go there, and as far as um, you know, how your dad treats them, him now being a senior citizen, does his uh, mood and needs supersede that of a child who is under 10 years old, I assume? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think kids need to supersede everybody. Okay. And as, um, far, as so as, sorry, as far as like you go now, you're older, you know, your dad mm-hmm. is, is there, um, and he is around and yeah. how, you know, how do you feel when you are alone and then what happens to you when you are there? Uh, and then what happens, mm-hmm. like, how long does it take you to get over like whatever has gone on in your brain, uh, while you're there. I'm sorry. My brain just drank. That's okay. Um, Oh, the one thing I'd wanted to mention is he called until just a couple weeks ago, he would call me like three to five times every day. Um, no matter what, even if like my husband and I planned a weekend by ourselves, my dad would call, hey, how are you doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I never know what to expect on the phone calls. And if I, so one thing I should have mentioned is if we say no to something, he, it's a trigger for him. Like if we say no, he will be angry. And so let's say my dad wants to come up on Saturday. But he won't ask. It's always like, hey, your mom and I are planning to come up Saturday and let's play some games. And, like, that's how he talks to me. He doesn't say, hey, we're thinking about coming to see you. Would that be okay? And so it requires me to say, like, if I say no, that's not going to work. I have to have a valid reason in his mind. So if I say well, we're doing this thing at 4 o'clock, he would say, oh, well, we'll just come up at 3 o'clock until you have to go. So then I... Ah, that's a weird example. Oh, no, no. He, he um, you know, he, he... Even though you are not in his home anymore, he is still yeah. trying to exert his control and flexing of that control whenever... Yeah. It suits him and yes. he has no concern that you may have other things to do or that, you know, maybe you need to relax a little and squeezing things yeah. in or that or the other, because you don't matter in the equation. Only he does. Yeah. And like he, some things he doesn't. So I used to think of, you know, all right, what's going to make him feel like, I have something legitimate to do that I can't see him. And like, I might say, I got to 
exercise. I have an exercise class at five o'clock. Well, he doesn't view exercise as important. So that didn't matter. So he might show up as I should be leaving for my class. And that's the other thing. He'll just show up or he'll call, hey, I'm driving up your driveway. Even though he lives an hour away, he could have called many times. He puts you in a position where, you know, he puts you in a position where he can say, I drove this amount of time (laughs) and you're not going to let me in. You're not going to make time for me. I did this for you. Like, think about how much time I wasted. And, And then he got you hook, line and sinker right there. And I, I have a physical disability and I, I would take naps in the evening because I was just, I guess I don't have to justify it to you, but I would, I would take a nap in the, in the afternoon. And sometimes, so I would put my phone on silent and then my folks would just show up outside the door knocking and my dad knows how to break into my house. So he will do that. Um, he knows, I know I should change things, but he knows the combination to our garage. And like, they'll just show up and my mom, she'll say, well, we tried to call you, but you didn't answer. So it's not like they give me any warning. It's like, oh, well, you missed that one phone call because you were sleeping and now we're here. So it's my fault that I didn't know they were coming. You see what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, so, I, so does do they treat your your siblings in the same way they're treating you right now? Or are you all still on an other level of expectations? I am on another level. I didn't realize this until I'd been working with my therapist a lot, and so I started asking my siblings questions. So, all of us are very all. all, all Okay, one sister moved several states away. But the other four of us all have self-harming and, like, extreme hatred of our bodies and of ourselves and not tolerating mistakes of ourselves. And um, three of them have suicidal plans occasionally. Um, so all of us have been very mentally messed up, but like, as far as the, the, my dad needs to be part of my life, that's the different level where he's not calling my siblings five times a day. Um, he invites himself to our family vacations and my husband and I, we don't know how to say no. So I'm working on that in my thirties. Um, he invites himself over to play games or he might show up at dinner time um, or they happen to be in the town I'm at. Oh, we'll just stop over and see, you know, myself and my family. But it's not an easy visit because even when he's here, he still wants to be taken care of. Um, so like you know, with my kids, if I'm taking care of their needs, my dad is feeling, um, he, he'll, he'll get angry or he'll start asking me questions as I'm trying to make dinner and take care of my kids for him. He'll want me to be answering his questions or whatever. 
I have a weird question. It may mm-hmm. not be weird. It may be weird. I'm just going to ask it anyway. <laughs> In your mind, what does it feel like to be relaxed? Um, I only feel relaxed probably when I'm in a hotel room all by myself. What do you think about? And the reason is, so even if I'm at home and no one's here, I think about all the stuff I have to do or what I haven't done for, you know, the last years I've been alive. Um, but if I'm at a hotel, like all on my own, so I say a hotel cause then I don't have any obligation to clean something or put something away. You know what? Actually, even in my home, I don't feel relaxed because my dad could come at any moment. I'm only relaxed if he is in another state on vacation and I know he's gone. So, um, at one time, with my physical disability, I'd hurt myself really bad. And so my kids and husband, they, we, we'd had this vacation planned and I'd gotten really hurt. So I sent them, they went on the vacation and I stayed home and it's fine. I mean, that it was all fine. But I was so afraid that my dad would just pop in that I put sheets over my front door so he couldn't look in and see that I was there. And the whole time, I never told my parents that I was actually in my own house because I figured they would come over to check on me. And their idea of checking on me is worse than me being by myself. It's like, no, you guys are not relaxing because my dad will still want me to make him lunch or ask me why I'm hurt or what I did to get myself hurt. You know, it's just, yeah, like that is literally why I can't relax very well in my house. Um, so you asked like how I feel when I'm relaxed. Uh, no, like, when well, like so when you're like when you're at the hotel, you're by mm-hmm. you're by yourself. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? And do you, do you uh, like where does your mind go? Well, how do you let yourself kind of you're feeling free while you're there? Um, you know. Um, what, what's what's happening like in that moment for you? So this sounds kind of weird. So I mentioned earlier about like the going to the bathroom thing where my, you know, we were limited on how much toilet paper we could have and we were limited on how often we could go to the bathroom. Like to this day, I still am so grateful. Like say in the hotel, I can go to the bathroom whenever I want to. And that sounds so primal, doesn't it? Like, it's such a basic need that everybody has, yet it still feels awesome that I can decide what I want to do when I want to do it. Um, so to me, it's like, that's really nice. No one's telling me, I don't know, we have to do this other thing and we can't do that. Um. So, I see. You know, so like, you know it, 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 so that's not weird 
to me. I mean, <laughs> you know, you've been living in a prison, you know, it might be in, yeah. in your mind and not, not, and I'm not saying that in a bad way that it's in your mind. I'm just saying that like you've been, uh, shackled by, yeah. um, the weight of everything your dad has put onto you mentally and, you know, and he physically is suffocating, um, mm-hmm. your ability to be free. And even mm-hmm. though you're out of the house, he's still lurking and, yeah. and it's, you know, yeah, the neediness of it in itself, mm-hmm. the feeling, because I have a, my shadow is uh, like the thing, I, neediness really, uh, really, really, really uh, gets to me. And, you know, my, my life is nowhere close to being anything that you had to deal with. But when you discuss relaxing, and, uh-huh. you know, many years ago, uh, I went to a, uh, to a somatic coach and, uh-huh. and we were sitting in this, uh, space and the, the person says to me, uh, okay, let's sit. We're going to do some exercises, sit, relax. And I'm like, Okay, I'm relaxed. And then first I don't I don't know what what happened or why it happened, but uh the coach said to me uh, I, right before we started whatever we were about to do, I, I said, "Hold on one second. I'm not relaxed." And mm-hmm. I don't know how it happened, but the, we were kind of shaping what, how my body was like how I was kind of sitting. And mm-hmm. and they said, "What does that mean?" And I said, I'm sucking in my stomach. And mm-hmm. and I said, I've been sucking in my stomach my whole entire life. And I've been doing it for so long. I've never noticed that I'm doing it. And I just noticed, mm. I, and I just noticed it now. I've never been relaxed my whole entire life. And because for me and my family, as was yours, um, weight was uh, a big thing. And I said to my coach, said, what would make you be relaxed? I go, being as fat as I want to be. <laughs> and, yeah. and they said, well, what does that look like? What does that feel like? And I said, hold on, like, let's try this out. And <laughs> I just let, you know, all of a sudden I let my stomach, after not realizing I was doing it my whole life, I let my stomach just hang over my belt, you know, and not Mm -hmm. care that that was happening. But my whole life I'd been walking around nervous and not even knowing it. Mm -hmm. It was there. And, you know, just like how you have feel like shoes are going to drop. I also have, you know, we came from two completely different things and I'm, my experience is nowhere near what you had to deal with, but I still dealt with, dealing with the actual uh waiting for that shoe to grow up having that mm-hmm. kind of time um you know that your time might not 
matter and creating those boundaries are, are difficult, but I've, I've been mm-hmm. doing pretty good. I've railroaded your whole thing just to kind of do this, but when it comes to the home, you know, and feeling, mm-hmm. you know, my, my, my family had a cottage and they sold it two years ago. And maybe the year before that, I went up one weekend and the people who lived around the cottage, they would, they would meet me. And I would say that cause you know, we had this cottage for 25 years and, and, mm. they, and they'd meet me and they'd say, we didn't think you existed. And we thought we were, you were a, a figment or like a, a fairy tale story. And that's because I never went and I never, uh, like I never, no matter what, no matter how much I was pressured to go there or Mm -hmm. be there, I knew if I was there, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to relax or I wouldn't, I would always be waiting for something to drop. Mm -hmm. I would be in that presence. And for 25 years, these neighbors of like, of my family thought that I was just uh, a, f- a fairy tale fable story that maybe I didn't exist. And I, you know, oh. they, 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 they knew my other siblings, but they had never met me. And, you know, so I railroaded your story. I have no idea if I'll keep this in the actual show, but I just want to say like <laughs> that I, I understand exactly, you know, that, that feeling and it's not odd and it's not strange and there's nothing to be ashamed about of wanting to feel free and be free and not have to feel guilt for other people, mm-hmm. for other people weighing you down, for other people putting their stuff on you. You know, it's a lot, it takes a lot of work to get out of that. And, you know, I assume you're somewhere in between 30 and 40 years old. And, you know, it takes a a lot of work to try and get out of that. And it's going to be a lot of work, but, you know, the more of that work that you do and it's a baby step work and you're going to be able to go many Mm -hmm. steps forward and many steps backward. And sometimes you're going to feel like you're failing while you're doing it, but you know, and you know, at least you're going to pick yourself up and try again. And the more you do it, the more it works, you know, and you know, the more it starts working, the more you, you be like, the more you're going to start to not care about, what they think, because I know that you have, you have identity issues, which we haven't even really discussed, mm-hmm. you know, right now of like, who are you? Like, who, yeah. who are you? Can you tell me who you might be? Who you want to be? Like right now? Yeah. Um, so I've been exploring that actually a little bit in that I love to dance. And um, so my dad has always not valued exercise, which is weird because he would criticize my mom all the time for being overweight. And um, all of us, he, he would criticize our weight, but the exercise part he viewed as a waste of time. Like, I suppose you should manage your body weight without exercising. Anyways, that was not important. My point is I have really felt 
the excitement that I feel when I'm dancing. I like to do Zumba. And really, that's just dancing. Your dance moves are coordinated with the music. So as the music changes, so do your dance moves. And so I feel that to my core. And I used to just think, oh, can you, uh, Vanessa, you need to focus on, you know, your job, your kids. You got to be there for everybody and exercise for your health. But just this last few months, I've been really delving into the joy I feel and embracing my silliness, right? And just letting go. Oh, so I do not relax very well. You probably know. But like in the <laughs> dancing, <laughs> especially when I couldn't even describe how relaxed feels. Oh, you probably knew. But yeah, as I'm dancing, I am like letting myself be free. And I'm taking my hair down. And I am shaking my head and my body and my arms as if no one's watching. And just feeling the joy and the smile. I'm not thinking, oh, am I smiling too much? Oh, do I look like a dork? What would people think? I'm just really embracing it and really seeing that I am goofy and I like being goofy instead of trying to be what I've always lived my life to be not criticized. So I have like this little, all right, what could people say about this moment? Okay. I better, you know, make sure I've got my makeup on right or something, you know, but that, that is just one way I've been seeing what myself enjoys doing and this is the other weird thing for my whole entire life I thought my favorite color was blue and it happens to be my dad's favorite color and again this sounds like a small thing but I didn't realize it until about a month ago that blue is fine but what I really like is pink like if anyone asked me what my favorite color was I would say blue but it, it just, like, hit me because I've been doing therapy for narcissistic abuse specifically. And I realized that what I like, my own self, my identity, is I actually like. And it's okay to like pink. And it sounds so small, but it was a big, significant day for me to realize that I actually didn't like the same color as I thought I did. And over time, you're going to find out a lot of things that you thought you liked were only because, you know, you were mm. trying to meet your dad where he was, not, you know, where, yes. not where you were. You know, a lot of times you, right. you, you're taking on a lot of things to meet people where they are and you're not having anyone, you know, the job of a therapist is to meet you, the best job, the best therapist. They meet you where you are at and, mm -hmm. you know, a good parent will meet you where you are at. They're not going to try and make you uh, meet them at their level. Uh, I mean, that's not, that's not mm -hmm. parenting. That's you being their parent and you've been parenting everyone your whole yeah. life. And you just, you just want to be a kid. You want, you haven't been, you're never able to be a kid. 
you know, Mm-mm. and I, I, you know, I want you to one day, you know, be the kid you, uh, always, uh, dreamed of being and do the most juvenile thing you can. <laughs> maybe that's what the dancing is like me being silly. Well, you know, being silly is good. I mean, you know, not having, you've been taking everything and it's not a knock against you, but you, you your life has been taking everything so uh, seriously in, in that sense, you haven't been allowed to be a, a kid and that kid is in you. And that kid wants to, uh, you know, wants to dance. And that kid wants to smile, not because they're told to smile. They want to be able to smile mm-hmm. when they want to smile. They want to be sad when they want to be sad. They want to be able to feel all of their emotions when they want to. If, 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 if your child, if that version of you wants to cry, you cry, you know, that's, you know, that's you and no one, you know, you've had to deal with just having someone domineering all of that. And, you know, I, I, I want you, I hope in my, in my wildest dreams that you, you know, one day, I'll flip on my, uh, I'll get an email from you and you were in some sort of dance contest. Um, oh, you know, that's so nice of you. And you're wearing a crazy Zamba or a Zimba, however it is, whatever <laughs> outfit they wear. I'm sure it's pretty crazy. Oh yes. I've been buying some. They're all sparkly. Do they have like the, anything that goes on your head or anything like that? Yep. Okay. I bought a sparkly hat. Okay. One day. I want you to send that to me whenever it happens. Okay. Um, okay. So, you know, as far as uh, kind of where you are right now and uh, what you're you're dealing with, um, uh, I guess where where are you going from here? And for people that kind of grew up in in, in the same way or are feeling. Uh, you know, the exact same emotions that you are, you know, living in, really in, in a state of fear, like, um, yeah. how, how do you, what do you want to say to them kind of going forward, especially if we have like younger, uh, mm-hmm. listeners who are not even close to even begin, like you're at the beginning kind of stages of, it seems, you know, kind of in that process, you're, you're there. Yeah. Um, so people that aren't there who, to get them to where you are, you know, what do you have to say? No pressure. I know. <laughs> One thing that has stood out to me is listen to how your body feels. So I know that when I am talking to my dad, my body is tensed up and I am fearful. I know when he's out of state on vacation, my body feels more relaxed. And I have been, instead of listening to my body and saying, hey, there's something wrong here, I would take that as shame or guilt to my own self. Like, how could you feel that way about your dad? He's your dad and he loves you. And I would start to list all the things he's ever done for me. And so I was, invalidating my own self and not trusting my own feelings. And if I had been aware of, of 
my body's response and not hating myself for it and saying, hey, there's something wrong with this situation. I could have gotten help years and years ago instead of waiting so long. So that's something I'm really focused on now is listening to my own body reaction and trusting myself more. And another thing is being more independent. Um, I feel like my dad would do nice things for me, but it was actually keeping me like I still, I owed him. So he might fix my car and then I would feel like I couldn't then say, no, you can't come to my house. Or he would take us all on vacation and then the whole vacation he would say, he would want us to keep telling us how grateful we were. And we were grateful, but he'd want to hear it over and over again. Where you know, let's say I, I don't know, I was hungry or something on the vacation, and he would say, well, at least I paid for the vacation, you know. I don't know, it was like you weren't allowed to express your needs or emotions because he had gone out of his way to pay for the vacation. And so what I'm meaning by all of that is the less I accept of his offerings, the less I owe him. And it helps me be more independent. And it's it's easy to to get trapped like that. I mean, I just feel, I feel like the niceness was actually a trap to make me keep owing him and keep letting him come over whenever he wants. So I would advise you to get as independent as you can, even if it's you know. Whatever it is, just to get more independence, and then you don't have to owe them. Because I think that makes it harder to get out. Well, Vanessa, I really, from the bottom of my heart, uh, thank you for being uh, with me uh, again. This is our, our second time. So thank you uh, for being here and sharing your story. I know it's going to help a lot of people. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here with me today. Well, thank you. And for everyone else who is listening, I hope you have a good night. <laughs>